Hello and welcome to Psychology in Seattle. I'm your host, Kirk Honda, licensed therapist. Please like us on Facebook. Please subscribe to us on iTunes. And please email us at contact at psychology in Seattle. That's contact at psychology in Seattle. We always love hearing from our listeners. Today we have a special guest with us back on the show, Dr. James Manley. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Kirk. He emailed me and asked if he could come on the show to give a special interview about some interesting topical situation that he is in. Why don't you just tell me what situation you've been in recently? Back in December, I received a a referral for Josh Powell, Mm -hmm. and uh, I interviewed Mr. Powell two different times, uh, one day after another, for a total of about eight hours, and then I observed him and his two sons during two of the parenting visitation sessions, one of which was uh, at the house, which uh, the disaster happened. Yeah, for those of you who don't know, this is a famous local story. It's probably national, international story about a father who has been found to have murdered his wife. Uh, I think the official terminology is that he was the only or the person of interest with the uh, Utah police and the FBI. And his wife, Susan Powell, uh, disappeared in December 2009. So on December 7th, I believe, in 2009, Mr. Powell reported that he left around midnight to take the boys on an overnight camping event in the winter in a blustery night and drove about 40 miles to a trailhead that was uh, pretty well away from where they lived. Susan Powell has not been seen since then. You evaluated Josh, correct? Yes, I did. And you're here to talk about that evaluation? Yes. So you have a unique perspective on this famous case that perhaps no one else has. You might even have information that other people don't have. I think that's fair to say. Um, All right. So they're in West Valley, Utah, and he goes on this overnight camping trip. And I've actually heard some journalists say initially that sounds very strange, but on on the other hand, it's not uncommon for some people to do that. Do you know anything about that sort of thing? Well, I have done a fair bit of outdoors excursions, Uh and I know that uh, it seemed rather impulsive. Uh The allegation is that he murdered his wife at some point, either before or during the camping trip? Well, that certainly is uh, something that was being uh, investigated. And and since uh, the Powell's children and Josh Powell's death, uh, the Utah police has dispensed more information related to the case. Uh, For example... It's common knowledge and on the Internet and in the news now that uh, one of the things that was kind of perplexing in the household was when people came in the house and uh, Mr. Powell had not returned, uh, they found a fan blowing on a wet carpet and wet couch. And in an interview, I asked Mr. Powell what that was about, and he said, well, one of the reasons that the things he had to do before they could go camping was to shampoo the couch. And then he went. And when I asked him, well, what his wife was doing when he left, he said she was going to, uh, headed to bed. Turns out that uh, lately, after the Super Bowl Sunday uh, explosion of the house is when that occurred, there was actually blood found in the carpet or the couch. So initially there wasn't uh, an investigation of the carpet until afterwards? No, I think there was, but the, the facts of, of, of their findings were not released. So this is another piece of the perhaps incompetence of the Utah police force, right? 
Well, uh, you can use that word. I'll stay neutral on that. Uh, but, <laughs> but that's what the news people are saying. Yeah. The journalists are saying is that if the Utah police had reacted more competently, we might have been able to prevent the secondary tragedy, which we haven't discussed yet. Sure. Um, 30 days after uh, Susan's disappearance, uh, Josh and the two boys relocated back to Piaup from Utah. The place where they landed was back in their uh, Stephen Powell's home, and they stayed there for approximately 16 months uh, as the investigation unfolded. Didn't I hear, and again, I'm not a journalist, so this is potentially not correct, but the disappeared wife told someone, if I disappear, it was my husband who killed me. Wasn't that wasn't there something along those lines? They had found a safety deposit box, and I read in the newspaper that uh, Susan had written uh, a, basically a last will and testament. And uh, I have not read it. I don't know if it's out there, but the the uh, the summary that you can read in the media is that she didn't. She was worried about her husband and her safety. Okay. So the reason why it was in the news cycle after the disappearance of a woman, because this sort of thing happens now and then, but the thing that made this unique was that the parents, the the wife's parents were saying it was him, he did something, we're suspecting he did something while he was saying nothing had happened, and there were two children involved. Is that correct? I think that's accurate. So uh, after Susan Powell's disappearance, which was uh, re- remains a mystery, between 2009 and, and 2011, when I met Mr. Powell, uh, there was an ongoing investigation with her disappearance and facts related to that. Mm-hmm. Of course, the authorities had went through the home of the Powell home and uh, started collecting data and evidence and going through different things in, in, in that process. Mm-hmm. 30 days after uh, Susan Powell's disappearance, Josh and his two sons, Charlie and Braden, uh, relocated back to Puyallup, where Josh had spent his teenage years and his father was living there. So you evaluated Josh when? I evaluated him two times. And the first time I, I evaluated him was, it was in the latter part of uh, October, right before Halloween, around the 27th of uh, October. And then there was a follow-up interview that occurred in the first part of January. This is uh, last year and this year? So, Correct. So yeah, the, the October 27, 2011, and then January 2012. And why were you asked to evaluate him? Well, uh, there were some concerns that the department uh, had noted, is that not only was Mr. Josh Powell under investigation, or at least a person of interest in his uh, wife's disappearance, uh, Mr. Stephen Powell... That's Josh's father. Correct. Mm -hmm. Mr. Stephen Powell was arrested for allegations and charges related to voyeurism and having depictions of a child mm-hmm. and so and so Josh and the two boys were living with the father in Puyallup mm-hmm. so th- the department of social and health services DSHS got involved because they were concerned about Josh's parenting capabilities his decisions about exposing his own children to his father is that correct uh, right the 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 health safety and welfare of the children are paramount and when uh, Mr. Stephen Powell was arrested, uh, the other individuals in the household were needed to be reviewed or taken a look at, so to speak. Uh, the concern for the department was 
Josh's relationship with his father, along the way he was asked if there was uh, child pornography in the home, would you protect your children from being exposed to those things? And Josh said, yes, if they were in danger. And so that response was not clear enough for the department, and they recognized that uh, Josh Pell had a loyalty to his father, and they weren't certain. Now, what's interesting is that the charges on Stephen Pell, it's not clear whether they were photos or pictures or cartoons or what it was. And, of course, in, in this state, they have to be actual photos. So you could draw a incestuous cartoon, for example, which would be completely inappropriate, but not illegal. Really? Mm-hmm. Interesting. So if you had a very realistic drawing that looked like a photo, that's that wouldn't be illegal. That's my understanding. Weird. Okay. Well, that's interesting. And immediately the children were removed from Josh Powell's uh, care just to see where everything was. And they decided to separate them and move forward with a dependency action. Dependency action is code word for the state taking children away from one's parents. And his mental health was a suspect, therefore the psych evaluation. Josh was making statements to the media, and there were odd statements that he would say. For example, things like the Mormon police were going to take his children away. The concerns that he expressed were really unfounded. I see. So the department was looking at several factors and said, well, we should probably have a mental health evaluation by a licensed psychologist. That's right. And that's when they looked at the bank of psychologists and they asked, do you know much about this case, Jim? And you said, I don't watch the news. They said, you're the perfect guy. Something along those lines. Yeah. I have to say, in my experience with DSHS, they typically do not seek dependency with children unless there is a significant reason to do so. So my guess is is that they were looking at a lot of different factors because just based on the facts regarding the grandfather's possession of child pornography, in my experience, I don't see the department taking children away from situations like that. So they must have been looking at all these other factors. In my guesstimation, they were looking at Josh's wife disappearance, the way Josh responded to the questions, his own mental health was in question. It just seems like there was a lot of different factors involved in taking the children away from Josh. Right. By the time I got the referral letter from uh, the the department, uh, they listed several factors about uh, concerns, um, some we've talked about already, and then others that they noted were that the older child, Charlie, had made things like uh, saying statements along the lines of, of, uh, I hate Jesus, or the Mormons are going to take me away, or or something like that, which was really kind of an adult in nature. And certainly the the Coxes are very uh, law-abiding citizens, and they they are active in their faith. And where they came up with uh, those statements was of concern, especially since Josh had been so vocal about the church himself. But I have to say, just on the surface, those statements don't sound all that alarming when you consider all the various things that children say. No, and, and I think it's additive, and I think you're right on target with that. Uh, another thing that was uh, noted in my referral letter was that uh, uh, Charlie was mentioned saying that he knew how to uh, bury an animal in the desert where no one could find it. Uh, 
and uh, of course they made a referral and just out of context of some child saying that it's not a big deal but but when you start adding those kinds of things in and uh, also there was another piece at some point Stephen Powell had quite an attraction to Susan Powell Josh's father had an attraction to Josh's wife correct what are the facts around that what do we know about that Stephen Powell has, has made statements basically saying he was attracted to her. Uh, Josh Powell said that he knew about it early in his marriage, and it was just kind of an innuendo. So they took the children away. The children's names were? Uh, the older boy was named Charlie, and the second son was named Braden. And they were taken away from Josh when? Soon after Stephen Powell's arrest. In, I think, late September. Last year? Yes. So that was fairly recently. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned that the department works with families, and I'll give a little bit of details about that since I have some firsthand experience with that, is DSHS doesn't just take children away permanently, usually. They say, okay, we'll we'll take your kids away temporarily, and now it's time for you to go through counseling, parenting skills, whatever the department thinks is going to get the parents up to speed. And they watch the parents a little bit. They observe. There's, like, potentially observe visits and this sort of thing. Did they do this with Josh? Yes, and and you're right. There's a real prescribed uh, legal procedure how they try to unify the parents back with the children. And it's overseen by family court. That's right. Yeah, every step of the way is, uh, you know, well-documented and with professionals. and And the parents often have a lawyer, and it's sort of like DSHS against the parents, and the judge judges between the two of them, right? Right. The state rec, uh, represents the state's interest or the, the health and safety of the child. There's also a guardian ad litem usually assigned to the case, which is kind of like the advocate for the children. Right. And then uh, the parent is, has always uh, been uh, given an attorney, too. Right. So there's a whole slew of people who come in to this situation when it happens. So the children were taken out of the home in September and placed with who? Uh, they were placed with their maternal grandparents okay so the mother who has disappeared her parents that's right and they have a lot of feelings about josh and the rest of the family right that's true so this might have been exactly what they wanted all along well, they wanted to find Susan, there's no doubt about that, and they've been very committed to trying to find her. But I'm wondering if they were worried about their grandchildren. Oh, absolutely. Right. So getting the children was probably a very happy moment for them in September. So then you were asked to evaluate Josh. I did about eight hours' worth of interviews with him uh, over a two-day period. And essentially a forensic evaluation is, is twofold. One is to have a comprehensive evaluation with all kinds of historical factors and and also there's a parenting component where i assessed the uh, individual's parenting skills did you do any testing yes i i gave him some tests that uh, took a look at his personality and his intelligence and some of his parenting skills do you want to talk about the findings of that sure uh it's all on the report and it's all on the internet okay so right now i'm i'm part of the 100 uh, percent transparency and, and that's such an odd feeling to be able to even discuss this and and i think part of part of what my my uh uh, reason why i want to talk to you and have this podcast is to help straighten out and and people are wondering what happened and how did this happen and so i I would just like to try to to help uh, explain that a little bit are people blaming you for something no because i know that some people are looking at why wasn't this prevented who could have prevented this well 
let's talk a little bit more about the process, and and uh, you'll learn more about what happened. Cool. Mr. Powell approached the uh, tests and the interviews very defensively. Mm-hmm. The test results, uh, one of the things that did show clear was he was a quite above average intelligence. Do you want to give his full-scale IQ? Well, full-scale IQ is about 128. That is pretty high. Yeah, it is. That's like what? The 98th percentile? Something in there, yeah. Yeah, he's, he's a lot smarter than most people. Okay. And because of that, I, I happened to notice uh, some um, dodginess, or uh, he would say things half halfway, and then later in the interview, I'd ask him another question were related, and he wasn't always consistent. Uh, so I was able to kind of piece together who he was, but there were some big puzzle pieces missing because he did not explain himself in a forthcoming manner. You could tell by the way he was responding. You were getting a vibe that he was guarded and trying to hide something. Yes. Like, for example, um, remembering that he's uh, quite bright, he would give me lots of information about his childhood. Uh, His parents went through a serious and quite uh, polarized divorce when he was about 16. Uh, He he couldn't remember details about that. In the meantime, uh, some of the uh, evidence that was uh, submitted publicly and and in my reports, uh, there was one point where Josh was... uh, described as suicidal and he had had a rope around his neck Mm. and the way he responded as i noted in in my write-up was that if i had had a rope around my neck i would have only been doing it for attention not very uh in depth i mean it when someone has tried to commit suicide or they were suicidal and you were to ask them about it and they weren't guarded they would say things like i was very depressed at the time I was pretty serious about doing it. I'm just really glad I don't think about that anymore. Those kinds of statements, right? That's right. And admittedly, it was uh, about 16 years uh, before. But generally, if you were suicidal, you might remember some of the reasons why, and you didn't come up with any. Right. Along the same uh, ideas that uh, he was also reported being sent to counseling in the same time, I think it was in junior high, uh, for, and I asked him what for, and he said, well, I think it was probably something to do with my self-destructive tendencies. And I went, all right, well, tell me a little more about that. He couldn't. He couldn't remember. Or he didn't. Right. If someone wasn't guarded, they would say, well, from my memory, I was, you know, I was smoking pot, and I was not going to school at times, and I got in a fight, and, you know, there would be this recollection of various things that might have led up to it but you weren't getting that from me no it's kind of like oh i can remember what i had for breakfast but i couldn't remember what i did after breakfast i see yeah so so he had he had not had any uh, uh brain injuries or any any uh, biological or organic issues of why he couldn't remember things in fact you know he was a, a contractor for various software companies and so he was, you know, quite agile in his in his thinking. How old was he? Thirty six. And what personality inventory did you give? I gave him the uh, psychological assessment inventory or the PAI. And what did that find? It found that he was defensive. Okay. And there weren't any there weren't any scales that were elevated. There is a way of telling whether or not someone is likely acting as if nothing's wrong on the on those tests. Correct. Yeah, there's a lot of things like uh, people would normally report, like, have you ever stole anything? Well, yeah, I stole a 
paperclip or something like that. But if uh, someone responds in a pattern of no, 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 I never did anything wrong, I, this and that, it, it, it goes beyond what normal people would report. Right. And it's just kind of like a looking good or trying to put yourself in the best light. His responses were consistent with someone who was trying to appear as if nothing was wrong with him. That's correct. Uh, in addition, I uh, administered two parenting tests that uh, had to do with uh, how much stress was related to parenting and uh, other things about uh, uh, the potential for child abuse. And I will say that uh, uh, Mr. Powell had no history of uh, abusing his children. Mm-hmm. But overall, the every test except for the intellectual measure was uh, returned defensive. Mm, including the parenting assessment. That's right. Yeah. So we don't know if he was truthful on those tests, right? Right. Just like the personality measure, it was. It just showed a, a high degree of defensiveness. Right. So compounded with his interviewing style, I could say that he didn't want you to know what he was thinking about. The other thing that I've actually heard on the news recently was that people are thinking, not clinicians, but journalists are thinking that Josh's father had sexually abused Josh as a child, perhaps, and that this affected Josh's behavior as an adult. Any thoughts on that? Well, he denied any sort of physical or sexual abuse as a child, and that's all I know about that. Okay. So then what? There was certainly a lot of discussion about uh, his wife and the last time he saw her. Yeah. We talked a lot about uh, some of the pieces that was important, like his relationship with Susan Powell. And uh, according to Josh, he indicated that there was no big problems uh, for the first part of the marriage. He did report that there was some tension between his father and Susan Powell, but that it passed, which is contrasted to what the statement he made with the state, which said that he was aware that his father was interested in her. Mm. Oddly enough, uh, uh, Josh Powell reported that his father would record Susan Powell singing, and according to Josh Powell, they would spend hours in the bedroom while Dad was uh, taping, and the microphone was uh, set up in uh, the closet for the acoustics. So, Are you talking about sexual acts between Josh and his wife? There was in the media, and I saw it on television, that Mr. Powell, Stephen Powell, indicated uh, an, uh, a strong attraction to Susan Powell. Was that the entirety of the evaluation? Josh Powell reported that Susan had struggled with depression. And according to him, she had, on her own, gone to a therapist and had been suicidal. Mm. And according to Josh Powell, she had uh, approached him at one point saying that, I feel better now, I've got way too much to live for, and let's go to uh, couples counseling. Mm. And according to Josh Powell, she and he attended for about four months. Unfortunately, Mr. Powell couldn't remember the name of the psychologist that they attended or any of the topics that they discussed. Hmm. So that's kind of another indicator that he may not be fully disclosing what went on. Meaning that there's a possibility that Josh was wanting to cover up what was discussed there, that he didn't want you to look into this person's records and find material that could incriminate him. I think that it's safe to say that in my my clinical time with Mr. Powell, he did everything he could to focus away from himself. Okay. So I asked him how long they went to counseling, and he said, until she disappeared. Hmm. 
another interesting thing about uh, Mr. Powell was that he had no real substance abuse background. Huh. He had no uh, domestic violence background. Yeah. He did report, though, that Susan, in her own right, was a professional, and uh, they both uh, worked different jobs, and a lot of times they spent uh, working at home. So one would work at home while maybe, or they might have both worked at home and in and out. And so uh, the overall take on that was that Charlie and Braden were well attended, too. So let me just do a little side question here. You're talking to a client. You're evaluating him and you do this all day long you do it several times a year right don't you do hundreds of these a year i've done about 500 of these okay so it's just somewhat routine and you're talking with him and i know that you've worked with some criminal populations i know a bit about your career but at this point are you thinking i wonder if i'm looking at someone who has killed his wife He's being defensive. His wife, I know his wife has disappeared. He is telling me things that are not helping me to believe the story that she disappeared and that he doesn't know what's happening. What's going on in your mind, or do you want to talk about that? You know, you're right. I, I did consider that. And uh, one thing that I'll, I'll point out is my job as a forensic psychologist is to answer the referral question. But the, but your whole brain isn't commandeered by by your job, right? Oh, no. Part of your brain is your own, right? I, I hope so. <laughs> I, I'll tell you that, that uh, when it got down to asking him about the, the night that he went camping in the winter without any planning, without any gear, without any food, with the, the two boys, one of them in diapers, I just couldn't get my head around that. Right. And, in fact, the media that I... I've seen after the boy's murder and Josh Powell's death, suicide, was that maybe they didn't go camping. But I don't know about that. I just don't know. And it was all I could do not to pursue those kinds of questions that I might, if someone was, say, uh, referred to me for a uh, not reason by, uh, not guilty by reason of insanity kind of question where you review someone's uh, act of violence. The referral question had to do with his parenting and overall uh, ability to function in the day. Meaning that your job was not to ask him questions about this camping trip. Well, I did ask him questions about it, but... But it wasn't the focus. No, no, it wasn't. I concluded that it was foolhardy, ill-prepared, and not a good idea to do that. But... I mean, isn't there a part of your brain thinking, I'm stand, I'm sitting talking to a murderer, potentially, and he might get away with it? I have to say, from my own work, I am not exposed to the kinds of clients that you are exposed to. So it's unfamiliar for me. I might react more like a regular human being when it comes to this sort of thing. And I have to say, it would freak me out if I was talking with someone that I thought, did this guy kill his wife? Am I, am I talking with a, the sort of guy that would do something like that? I think it would cause a little anxiety in me. It did. It really did. Um, it was one of the most troubling and at the same time fascinating interviews that I had. In fact, I did it on two different days. It was 
a challenge for me to stay focused on the referral question. Mm-hmm. Well, so then what? So uh, part and parcel is after the uh, interviews, uh, the reg- regular routine of it is is to see the uh, parent in action with the children at a family visit. Mm-hmm. So the first time I observed uh, Josh Powell with his boys was in a facility that uh, was an older house that they'd uh, broken into rooms, and in this day they were in the kitchen cooking. So when I got there, it was a several hour visit, and uh, this is a supervised visit. Yes, uh-huh. and there's a, so there's a social worker there. It was a, a contracted uh, agency and their employee. I see. Yeah. As it turns out, the woman was quite experienced. So the state contracts with an agency that sends a specialist in this area to monitor the visitation between Josh and his and his two boys. Right. And, and just in any parent that's involved with a dependency right. in supervisory. And, and I just have to say, in my experience, when I see families go through this experience, because I might be a therapist involved in this process, that usually, and from the families that I've seen, they actually do improve they actually turn around so we can see in this situation that did not happen but usually when you put families through this process they grow and they function well and that the uh, the original worries or the original abuse that was happening in the past does not reoccur so you know i just want to put that out there that usually the the system does work and does help families absolutely yeah yes it does and and uh, the only time that i'm involved is when there might be say a substance abuse issue or a um cognitive deficit or, or not not uh, maybe some developmentally dif- disabled people might have a child and have trouble with that or just neglect right. or actually having mental health problems with the parent so you get involved on in, in the evaluation piece and i get involved in the therapy piece that's right yeah mm-hmm. okay yeah so then you are at the home you're watching him interact with his kids and you're there to get further information for your report correct yeah when i got there josh had prepped up food to cook it was in the later afternoon and it was right before halloween i think it was like the friday before or something okay and uh he was making quesadillas and so uh, what he had gotten was uh uh, the two chairs that had the backs against the counter and the two boys were standing next to Dad while well, Dad had a frying pan and was warming up the tortilla and he had already prepped up the cheese and the whatever else that they put on it. And and it, what was really struck me is that the boys were really happy-go-lucky kids. Mm-hmm. And there was no question in my mind that they really enjoyed being around their dad. Hmm. And so they weren't you know, showing fear or apprehension or being very quiet. They they were yakking away, and and so Josh was Josh Powell was throwing uh, the cheese on. It says, "Okay, now we're going to put the cheese on it and make sure that we move the tortilla so it doesn't burn." Things like that. And just remember, cheese is made out of milk and it has protein and calcium, and you need that for strong bones. Things like that. Mm-hmm. And he had a really good rapport with the boys. Mm-hmm. Um, the boys were, you know interested in eating the food and they uh josh powell would would go ahead and uh, let one of the boys put the maybe the onions in the on top of the tortilla and the other boy put the cheese on it was pretty normal mm-hmm. so uh, off they go and of course he warns them about uh, the hot skillet and it does all the kind of protective kinds of things that would you normally not even think about except for in this context some parents don't know or don't care but it was pretty clear that josh was uh, vigilant about his boy's safety and about them having appropriate manners at the table you know a lot 
along those lines looked really good mm-hmm. uh, throughout the visit uh, or the observation of the visit um, they chatted at uh, at the table then uh, Josh Powell had gone ahead and put uh, a, I guess a brownie mix in the oven and he popped out some brownies and then they had gummy Frankenstein parts and they put they put some chocolate icing on the the brownies and sprinkled body parts on top of the on top of the uh you know in the in the spirit of halloween you know and right i was i'm with you there on the halloween but the irony just uh, the irony is troubling yeah so after they had their little dessert and and, and you're observing are you interacting with them no no i'm just sitting there watching okay and, and that's not my job because at the best if you could just be a fly in the wall and not interrupt the normal flow of things it's mm-hmm. better off if you insert yourself into a family dynamic then it will change it right so i, I just want to stay away from that as best as possible that's my job i insert myself yes that's your job so anyhow after lunch or snack time josh went to a car and brought some things in and, and what he brought in was just cute as could be. He had two little hobby aprons, mm-hmm. and the boys put on the hobby aprons, and they had safety glasses, put on the safety glasses, and they had little mini hammers, and he had gotten some kits, and it was like the Funny House mirror kit that was pre-cut, and little nails, and tap, 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 and then the nails, and they were all, they were sitting on the floor in the kitchen, turned out. Mm-hmm. He says, okay, now here's the directions. All right, Braden, what's the first direction? And the, the Braden would look at it, and he read it, and he goes, that's right. Okay, Charlie, what's the next? And mm-hmm. so on and so forth. Just right out of the textbook. Mm-hmm. Braden didn't really want to have uh, the safety glasses. I, I don't know. He didn't like them. But then Dad insisted on having and, you know, teaching, I, I'm guessing, about safety. And Braden decided that he didn't want to do it. So he took his glasses off, not in anger, but he just didn't want to do it and kind of went over and sat several feet away from his brother and dad who continued um eventually dad checked in with Braden and says well you sure you don't want to come and we're we're doing this and and then Braden kind of slowly came back and dad then went back to the glasses and directed his son to put the safety goggles back on and they they weren't the grooviest looking goggles <laughs> dad had a pair of the kind of like clear sunglasses rather than you know with the elastic strap on the back and all that and and braden was resisting following the direct and so josh powell looked at braden and said would you like to wear mine yeah. okay and so he took his glasses off. Braden put them on. Dad put the goggles on, and then everybody was happy. Hmm. What was very interesting in that moment, which was all perfect, Dad and Braden came really close together, eye to eye, and smiled. And it was a happy thing, and they went on about their hobby. Hmm. I can say about some of the observations of Josh Powell with his children, he really did a good job as far as technically mm-hmm. clearly had a rapport the boys loved him and i'm sure he he had a strong uh, love for his children mm. however i noticed subtle alike in the interviews there's subtle things that i noticed about controlling the situation mm. and i noticed the control across the board he would say things a little loud his eyes didn't match the smile, and it was. He, I think there was a, a controlling piece there. A uh, hostile controlling? Because all parents want to control the situation when there are people watching them, right? Oh, sure. They want things to go well. Right, right. No, I, this is beyond that. Uh, and I, I just couldn't put my finger on it. Like an eerie feeling? Yeah. 
Huh. Kind of like an area fearing. And I thought, well, this guy uh, is going to have problems with his kids when they're teenagers if he doesn't shape up. Because mm-hmm. he he didn't allow them to, uh, very structured, okay, now we're going to do this, now we're going to do that, now you're going to do it this way. Yeah. Which, you know, that's what parents do. Yeah. But in this case, it was a little beyond. But you were thinking, ah, he's going to have some trouble when they're teenagers. Right. But, you know, we think that about a lot of parents, right? Well, sure. And in part of my uh, recommendations was that uh, he needs to allow them to develop their uh, autonomy. Hmm. And so when people don't allow children their autonomy, then sometimes what we call uh, boundaries are blurred. Mm-hmm. And they don't allow the child to make good choice or choices so that the child doesn't get to learn how to make bad choices and learn from mistakes and so on. Yeah. That was a bit of a concern for me. Okay. The second time, uh, about a week later, I uh, went out with uh, the case manager this time to Josh Powell's home. And so the boys came and ran into the house, excited to be there. So in the meantime, we watched the interaction between father and sons and there was another cooking event and uh this time they were making seven layer mexican cheese or bean dip Hmm. and uh looked good to me it looked okay and um once again uh the boys had gotten up there on the chairs and they were helping cooking and and uh it was interesting too you know is is that every step of the way i could see how organized mr powell was Hmm. everything was organized and premeditated set up in advance Mm -hmm. which did not vibrate correctly with me about the extemporaneous camping trip oh yeah so did that register in your mind at the time oh yeah Interesting. Yeah, and it was just just a dissonance feeling. It just wasn't fitting together. Meaning that the camping trip seemed so random uh, and ad hoc and not well organized compared to this highly organized other behavior. That's how I saw it. Because camping, even for the average person, requires a lot of premeditation, a lot of planning. People tend to get all their ducks in a row before they go camping. Sure, especially in the winter. And when you go camping, you always want to let someone know where you are in case you break down or uh, things like that. And he was a smart man, so he presumably had the skills to organize such an outing. So just to kind of recap, you know, I, I saw Josh Powell on two occasions in my office. Uh-huh. And the way it works, of course, is the court is uh, on a time schedule, and they want uh, to have the completed report to give my findings and recommendations about the parenting. Mm-hmm. As I mentioned uh, just a few minutes ago, he had good parenting skills. Mm-hmm. His kids were happy to be around him. Mm-hmm. I didn't publish the report and turn it in for several weeks after I completed it. And the reason for that is that the uh, Utah police had let the prosecutor know, and then the department, then me know, that there were some alleged child pornography that they were going to send to Washington for review. And the department wanted me to, of course, review that and, and get my take on it, to find out uh, exactly what was what was going on with that. To look at the pornography? Right. Mm-hmm. To evaluate whether or not Josh had a problem with pornography. Uh, yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. And, of course, that, that could be part of uh, maybe a 
parenting deficit at that point. Right. So I waited, and it didn't come. So I gave, and the court came, date came, and I, I gave the, the report and gave recommendations. And my initial recommendations was that he was a bit overbearing. He needed to let his children develop his their autonomy, and uh, that he had basic, solid parenting skills and no major mental health problems. But that he was defensive on his PAI. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. I talked about that and that he was defensive and, and a bit dodgy. But a lot of people are, right, in situations like that. Oh, that's right. Because they're being evaluated for parenting and they're a little scared that you're going to find some, some dark corner in their mind. And so they're a little defensive. It's not a situation where someone's coming in willingly and saying, I want you to evaluate me. They're worried about your evaluation of them. So I'm, I'm guessing you run into a lot of people who are defensive that might not have major problems. Yes, that's, that's one of the things that uh, the forensic psychologist has to overcome is basic uh, defensive stance. So did the West Valley, Utah police show their incompetence by not providing these child pornography photos to you? I'll just say that uh, by the time they let the uh, folks in Washington know, I, I suspect it would probably be the Attorney General's office, that they had pulled some some images off of Josh Powell's computer that were of a sexual nature, and they wanted to send it forward. My initial report uh, noted that you know he uh, had pretty good parenting skills, he had moved out of the family home and established his own residence, Mm -hmm. went to the residence with a social worker, no no big problems. So aside from him being a little little rigid and defensive on his PAI, everything looked like it was fine to move forward. Right. But of course, the big elephant in the living room was uh, Susan Powell's disappearance. But since that's not your focus and you can't make a recommendation based on a hunch or an investigation or a disappearance, you just have to move forward with the report. Right. That's right. If if he had been charged, I could have noted those things. Right. Being a person of interest does not does not justify some kind of concern about his parenting of his kids. Right. Well, I did note that um, there were there were things about control and having to resolve some of the legal issues that he might be facing to give stability in the household. Right. Yeah. So you know about these pictures. When did you see them? I saw them in early January. Now again. I want to sort of jump out of the psychologist talk and and say, as a person, Jim, you are at this point looking at child pornography, which I have to say would disturb me. I have occasionally had to witness such photographs, and these are semi-traumatic moments for me as a human being. Did you have that experience? No. And the reason why is because they weren't pictures of photos of children. Oh. What they were, there was a total of about 400 images. They were all perverse. They all had incestuous themes. But most of them were depictions of cartoon characters such as Dennis the Menace, Bart Simpson. So there might be a depiction of Bart Simpson having sex with Marge. That's exactly what happened. That's what I that's what I wrote in there. Yeah, interesting. And then there was also some uh, anime style or the Japanese style of of cartoons, right. which had some uh, uh, sexual content. Uh, there was also pictures or one one panel uh, sketches of the Avatar. Mm-hmm. Is that the name of that movie? That, yeah, yeah, right. Uh, style, and then then which was even most disturbing. There was about a dozen or so uh, images of computer generated sketches of of people. Wow. 
they all had uh, sexual content in them. For example, there was one picture that uh, when it looked small in the thumbnail size, you would I thought it was a photo, but when I enlarged it, I could see that it was a computerized drawing. And one in particular, there was a, a, a large bed with mom and dad and the two kids on uh, on the bed with no clothes on, and uh, the two children were engaged in a sexual act, and they were getting coaching and praise from their parents. And this is not Josh and the wife. This is these are just random people. Random pictures, okay. and in fact, uh, these these pictures had uh, you know on the bottom they had the website on there. I see. And so I followed up and reported in my, my evaluation the website. And I went to the website, and I looked at the entryway, the portal to the website, and it was like uh, drawporn.com or something along those lines, that it was real clear that it was about incestuous or child molestation types of of uh, drawings. And since these are not illegal in Washington, then they're not illegal. Yeah, I was told by the attorney crew that uh, they weren't uh, necessarily pornography, they weren't illegal, and then my job then was to contemplate what this all meant. In terms of Josh's psychology. That's right. So when did he find out that those pictures were out? I called him, and, and I had a, a bit of a telephonic interview with him. Uh-huh. And I said, you know, th- these these things are coming, and do you have anything to tell me about this? And he said, they're, they're not from my computer. I don't have any pornography, any child pornography on my computer. Uh, when I look at pornography, I always make sure the models are over 18. There's a disclaimer there, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, it's kind of an interesting statement. Yeah. Um, he also mentioned that uh, there were other people in the home when he and Susan entertained, and they could have been from someone else. Right. Uh, and he wasn't uh, claiming them to be his. Did he seem surprised that these photos were being revealed? I, I really don't know. It's a mystery. And they were on Josh's computer? They were on his Josh's computer in Utah. And they were all cartoons or drawings? Yes. Do you know if they were downloaded in, in a file labeled stuff that Josh looks at? Or, or were they, you know, because sometimes when you're browsing around on the Internet, there are pictures that are downloaded onto your hard drive as a cache. Or I, I'm, I'm not a computer expert, but I know that the Internet will routinely download things on your computer without you knowing. Was it Which one was it? Well, I don't really know. I, I got a uh, file, or actually I never got the file. The, the detective loaded the file in his lap laptop and showed me the pictures and we went through them and so i do know that they originated from utah i do know they were all of incestuous type themes and there seemed to be at least three or four different styles of drawings plus a computer generated ones Uh, i was asked to look at the images and base some conclusions on the overall case so here we have a guy his wife is missing 30 days after she becomes up missing he relocates to washington and stays with dad nothing happens except for some polarized comments between the two different families uh, rightfully so the grandfather the uh, maternal grandfather is looking for his daughter and making very public statements about where did my daughter go what happened to her right. the suspicious nature about uh, mr josh paul being gone you mentioned off air that the Susan's father was standing in Puyallup with a sign saying, where's my daughter? 
trying to uh, raise awareness about the, his missing daughter. Yes. Uh, I would say that Mr. Cox has, has just gone to the nth degree to search for his daughter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They weren't giving up. They were doing everything. They, they, they still haven't given up. Yeah. They're trying to find her. Yeah. And so we've got the polarization. We've got a high level of media attention, which one way or another is going to stress a parent. Yeah. You know, and so we know that when, when we're under stress, we don't make the best decisions. Right. A lot of people were probably saying that Josh had killed his wife, right? Well, that was certainly some of the media's uh, speculation. I mean, I listen to some of these news broadcasts, and there will be some, you know, they're not journalists. They're just, I don't know what you call them, just commentators will say, I believe that he killed him. What do you think? And then they have call people call in. And say, I believe, he, I mean, I'm guessing he was exposed to some of that, some of that news coverage. Yeah, he termed it the media circus. And, and one thing that, that Josh Pallett wanted to do, uh, was try to protect his sons from being exposed to that. Did he talk with you about any of this, the media circus? Well, he talked about uh, the times when he would be recognized and people would uh, stop and look at him, things like that. What did he think about Oh, uh, well, he didn't like it. Yeah. Yeah, he didn't like it. I think a big piece of, of this is the subtlety of Mr. Powell and his um, overall focus on himself. Mm-hmm. He, he claimed that uh, Mr. Cox had contacted his friends in Facebook and turned them against him uh, or had called them, and he felt very vilified uh, unnecessarily mm-hmm. that he claimed innocence. Well, if, if he was innocent, then it would be true that you would be upset if people turned against you just because your wife abandoned you. If that's truly what had happened and everyone started to hate him, then one would think that you would feel vilified. Well, that's true. So he was consistent with that story, with that position. It would have been strange if he didn't feel vilified, given his story, right? That's a good point. So I think that uh, overall, you know, uh, he had a good bond with his kids, you know, history of crime. No, he had a, a run-in when he was a teenager, but, but nothing violent, no history of domestic violence, no history of maltreatment of his children. If he had committed more violent actions to people in the past, you would have been perhaps more concerned about him doing things currently or, or to his wife, right? Well, sure. And one thing that... that uh, I base some of my findings on is uh, research, of course, and uh, violence and and the prediction of violence. (laughs) And uh, there's been uh, validated um, points where uh, people that re-offend violently have in common. For example, uh, maybe personality disorders, uh, substance abuse histories, um, prior uh, violent acts, uh, things along those lines. And you didn't have any proof of any of those things? Well, one thing I did uh, establish was that I, I was my conclusion that he had a narcissistic personality. Okay. I felt that Mr. Powell's reaction, vehement reaction, to some of the accusations of, of the media, and some of the accusations of the Cox family uh, it were very uh, intense. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did not protect his sons, in my opinion, from some of his opinions. Mm-hmm. Um, also, the focus on himself was, was pretty apparent to me. And, and in subtleties, too, around the controlling of the, the children during the visits, albeit within levels of appropriateness, but his voice was a little too loud, his tone was a little too firm, 
Mm. His eyes weren't smiling when his mouth was. Mm. And so that kind of all added up to me and uh, to assign him traits of a, a narcissistic personality. Okay. So after I looked at the the 400 depictions of uh, incestuous themes of cartoons or whatever you'd like to call it, I had to render an opinion of, of what to do with it, with all this information. Mm-hmm. There was some speculation about incest and about concerning, about protectiveness, about the children. Mm-hmm. And, of course, in on the heels of the paternal grandfather's arrest and allegations and charges, and the theme of this running through this whole case, I had to consider that. And I didn't suspect that Powell was sexually molesting his sons. I, I just didn't come up with that. But what I did come up with is that, remember when I was telling you that he looked in the boy's face and they grinned? Mm-hmm. His, his grin almost looked like a distortion. It was almost like too much. And I didn't think of it a lot then, but then... When I started seeing the themes of the supposed child pornography, I got the feeling that there was more to the me in Powell. When someone is a narcissist, when you confront them, they become angry, and they are very entrenched in the way they see things. They don't modify their position, and in fact, they'll distort others in order to misdirect the intense, you know, the the uh, challenge, and they'll they'll point the finger somewhere else. We all do that, but this is a, a, a situation of degree. Mm-hmm. How much does it happen? How intensely does it happen? And so I had to consider that, and also piece of the visitation seemed to me that the way Josh. Powell interacted with the sons was almost as if they were extensions of him rather than seeing them as two little people growing up. Interesting. Right. And so the idea of him being appropriate with his children, while maybe consistent, but they, as I noted in my first report's conclusions, that he needed to back off and let them to individuate and to let them grow into who they were going to be. Right. His domineering style, albeit subtle in front of me, is probably more intense when no one's watching. Right. So in your first report, you did not say that you were worried that he would sexually abuse his two sons. Correct. I had no data for that. Right. So what did they do after that hearing? Well, what happened was is that I looked at the pictures on the computer on Monday. My report was due on Tuesday. Uh. Yeah, right before Super Bowl. Okay. The court hearing was to see whether or not changes in the dependency needed to be made. Uh For example, if I would have said, it looks good, it's okay, everything looks really fine, or the professional psychologist's position is that the parent has good parenting skills, then it's pretty typical that the court would allow maybe more contact or a drop down from uh, supervised to monitor visits and right. so on. Right. Back to remember that that uh, the reunification goal. So again, stepping outside of psychologist mode for a second, you are involved in a very public case that's being discussed on the news, and you can't tell anyone that you're involved in it, correct? That's right. So your family, your friends, 
people you run into, you have to just keep that secret. Yes, and that's the nature of the confidentiality. And this happens to you every now and then because you because of the nature of your work. Yes. I just think that's an interesting thing. Does it take a toll on you to have to swallow that secret all day long? The way I focus on it is uh, I will talk to different providers and, and kind of double-check my thinking. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll check in, uh, say, with the uh, coach, the the parenting coach, for example. When I interview them, I'll check and I'll talk for, for updates with the, the case manager and uh, and. I'll talk to the attorneys on both sides. Meaning that you consult with these people about the the client. That's right. But you're not talking about, oh, my God, can you believe what this guy did? And he seems like a creep. And I don't know. You know, like you don't have that ability to vent or to express your emotions about being involved in it. You can just consult, right? That's right. Does that take a toll? I think it does sometimes. It seems like it would. I mean, this is a very emotional case and it gets worse so why don't you continue the story well so i saw him two times in my office Uh i saw him once at the agency once at his home i went back and wrote my report i waited for the pictures to come in they didn't come in Uh i sent the report to the court right and the report says i've got some concerns about some of his stability he's got some pretty good parenting skills and there's another court hearing in january yeah okay Okay. Now, if I if the if I had no concerns, uh, I would have guessed that perhaps the court would have increased visitation or decreased the level of supervision. Right. I did have concerns uh-huh. based on the pictures, based on the the pictures and the overall tone of of the of Mr. Powell mm-hmm. at the court hearing related to the slides, which would be the second court hearing. Then my findings, I referred Powell to uh, take a, a psychosexual evaluation. Because I, I wasn't ruling out the possibility of incest, but I, I didn't know for sure. And there are specialists who will evaluate people. Right. Uh, in the state of Washington, it's a sexual sex offender treatment provider, or SOTP. And I happen to have that certificate, and part of my practice involves that. Of course, I, I already was involved with the evaluation. I needed to refer to a, another professional. Okay. So the idea is that uh, not only is it a comprehensive evaluation with a psychosexual evaluation, there's sexual components about sex history and, and more uh, deeper. Part of the, the psychosexual evaluation typically includes a polygraph test. Mr. Powell was referred by the court uh, on Wednesday to take uh, to be referred to a psychosexual evaluation, including a polygraph. And by Sunday, he had cleaned out his bank accounts. He had sprayed and dispersed about 10 gallons of gasoline in his home. The agency worker brought the child, children to the home. She'd been doing this for months. And when the kids ran in to see their dad, he shoved the woman out, locked the door, and minutes later the house exploded. The autopsy, which is in the papers, showed that Mr. Powell had hatcheted both children in the skull and then exploded the house. This is very traumatizing for me and for anybody that was related to this case. In part, I can see where Mr. Powell would have been so stressed, so upset, that his children were might be taken away from him. In fact, I think Mr. Powell 
didn't see them as individual people but extensions of himself, and he literally couldn't live without them. This news came to you how? Well, I was uh, online uh, or working on a report on Sunday, and it happened to be Super Bowl Sunday, and uh, someone had a CNN uh, web page or web homepage, and said, check out CNN. And there it was, smoldering. And it was mid-afternoon on Sunday. Yeah, wow. Yeah. So part of part of uh, what I'm trying to piece this together and make sense out of the horror of it, um, the, the whole notion of the coldness of murdering the two children weighed heavily with me mm. and trying to sort it out the only way I could even get my head around it was that as a narcissist-type person who was threatened by taking something so important away from him, he, he couldn't do it. And I think that got triggered hmm. by the referral for a psychosexual evaluation. Because that was going to lead to a polygraph, right. which might have led to thoughts or suspicions or allegations or the revelation of certain facts about his history that would lead to the permanent removal of the children from his life. I'm thinking that's accurate. And he couldn't tolerate that according to what you believe about his psychology. Yeah. And decided to take matters into his own hands. Right. My suspicions were that Mr. Powell had was very unstable and I reported that, but there is no way to estimate how unstable or what will change our world so much and so radically. Mm. The base rate of people murdering their children is so low anyway, right. much less in such a manner. Mm-hmm. And so could if anybody have foreseen this? I don't, I don't think so. I don't have that opinion. Right. Did we all try to do our jobs the best we could? Yes, I think that's what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, subsequent to the um, fatalities, the state divulged the information to the public there is being a review of this matter, and it's still in a review. And so it's just one of those things that uh, is horrifying. Yeah. I know as a therapist and as a supervisor of therapists that we sometimes feel responsible. Did you feel responsible? It had a strong emotional impact for me. Mm-hmm. I think that there is a sense of responsibility for all of the team that we're working with the family. Mm-hmm. Because I, I think without exception, everybody wanted those boys to be safe. Mm-hmm. They were good kids. They didn't have any major problems. They were bright. And to lose them in such a way is just uh, just a big blow for everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can't imagine what that social worker is going through. She was right there. And it's been on the in the media that she called 911, yeah. trying to get people out there. And uh, within minutes, the house just uh, literally blew itself up. Right. But what do you think about the way that he did it then? Because I'm thinking, if I might interpret a little bit, that that is a very flashy way, literally, to go out, to go up in flames, to go out with a bang, to go out with a very noticeable act there are stories of other people where you get a gun and, you know, however horrific this might sound, you 
shoot the other people and then you shoot yourself and that's it. Do you think that his personality had a role in that decision? Oh, I'm sure. However horrible it is to acknowledge this, there are stories every now and then of a parent who will kill their children and then kill themselves. And actually a colleague of mine had this very thing happen and the father used a gun, um, did not douse the entire house in gasoline and light it on fire. Was this a part of his narcissism? Was this a part of his... Because he wasn't a very flashy person, right? No, you, you, he's just like the guy next door. Yeah. yeah. Did he feel he was special in the world, that he should go out with some, uh, some amount of theatricality? I know that narcissists are, feel that they are special beyond their uh, normal bounds, yeah. that they have uh, feelings of, of greatness or importance. And there's, I'm, I'm certain that he was making a statement of some such. Hmm. But for me to speculate is probably beyond my uh, role here. Might this not have happened if the psychosexual assessment wasn't recommended? Well, somewhere he was triggered by I think that he he felt that things were going to not go to his plan and so he made the ultimate statement and whether or not that had to do with the psychosexual I don't know yeah. one could speculate that it did yeah. uh, given the suddenness of the review of the, these images yeah. the court hearing the referral to the psychosexual. I have to say, though, it's a little strange, really, when I think about it, because it, I could imagine him going to the psychosexual assessment and being defensive, and maybe there was something found, a, a bit of a strange philia of some sort. But in all likelihood, he would have been able to either mask whatever was there or his issue wasn't very noticeable or really that much of a problem. If he likes to look at cartoons of incest, that's not a humongous uh, deviation from the norm. It's a deviation, but it's not as if that would have... I mean, he could have, for instance, said, yeah, I'd like to look at stuff like that, and that wouldn't have condemned him to a diagnosis of, well, you, you can't parent your children. And I, I don't think there was any new evidence that had come out before that regarding Susan's disappearance. So when I think about it from that angle, it seems sort of strange that he decided to do that at that moment because he probably could have got away, got away with it if he just would have stayed the course that he'd been on for the past six months. I hear you. <laughs> I, I don't know what to make of it. I mean, he'd been through so many other assessments. You'd tested him several times. He'd been to court. He'd been observed in his parenting. There'd been so many different moments where he was under the microscope. So what has happened after the Super Bowl for you, after the event where Josh killed his sons and himself? What, what, what's happened to you? Who has contacted you? What, what have you been through? Uh, of course, I was just struck down over the horror. I, come, I uh, contacted the, uh, the people that were involved with the case, which I had worked on other cases with. Uh, I attended the funeral. That was helpful, or in a healing way. I had some reactions in my sleep pattern. The visualization of the hatchet is very distressing to me, as I'm sure almost everybody. When the things were started to be revealed by the state's process, I was contacted by the media. One fellow from the Associated Press, had, and my report was out. 
was out all over the world. I had a friend in Thailand that was uh, on vacation, read all about it. Um, the Associated Press contacted me, wanted to talk to me. I think it, it was one of the Seattle stations who walked in my office and says, I'd like to talk to you, the cameraman's downstairs. And I, I just wasn't ready to do that. And I needed to, of course, do due diligence in uh, levels of confidentiality uh, in my processes professionally and emotionally. And so in order to come to talk to you today, I've contacted uh, various people, including the Attorney General, American Psychological Association, and others that uh, have told me that staying with my report, uh, you know, it's, it's okay to talk about. But emotionally, as a forensic psychologist, it has impacted me by being more conservative. In other words, I'm looking far more closely at the parents. I think it's just a human reaction. Right. Do you think you'll have inaccuracies as a result? Well, I hope not. Um, there's everything uh, we can learn from uh, our experiences. I hope I have here. And like I say, the incidence of something of this magnitude is very, very rare. Mm -hmm. And in fact, I've never lost a client mm -hmm. to suicide. So you have had difficulty sleeping. What what other sorts of suffering has, have you been through? Uh, part of part of the training that we do is we try to process, try to not become attached. And as an evaluator, I just had a few contacts with Mr. Powell. Mm -hmm. Whereas a therapist like yourself, you know, you get to know people far more intimately, mm -hmm. and you get to try their shoes on, so to speak, mm -hmm. and. Uh, to suffer a loss of a client within that realm, I think, would be a deeper, deeper impact. Mm. This is a certainly a, unforgettable in my my career, and I hope that I can use this to learn more about the depth of personalities, uh, people's reactions and and uh, actions under stress. Yeah, it's just a, a powerful thing. Would this lead to a different career or a, some sort of specialization or maybe even writing a book? I, I think I want to write, write a, a case study on it. Mm -hmm. Professionally, there were things that, you know, you can always do better mm -hmm. no matter what you do and how you do it. I'm not saying that I think I was at fault, but it, everybody makes uh, adjustments for their experiences. Mm -hmm. And I think that Writing up the case study will help maybe students take another look at things. What can we learn from it, right? So, right. Jim, what can we learn from it? I think two things. One is that with all the people involved, at least in uh, where I work or in contact with, with the Department of Human Services, there is a high level of professionalism and compassion involved. The reactions of the people that were in contact with this family uh, showed their care and concern about it. Secondly, I think it's important not to underestimate what people might do. Worst case scenarios do happen? Well, and when you're in an evaluative position, you always have to weigh the data. The data in this case showed a strong self-focus. 
uh, reading up more intensely on narcissism afterwards, and you can wiki it and find out about that. I've had been experienced uh, an experience with people with uh, narcissistic personalities where they would come into like a rage situation uh being indignant and justly indignant and and actually not even remembering what happened. Mm-hmm. This was like that but tenfold. Mm-hmm. And to try to sort out what sort of pressures and facets related to such an extreme violent reaction is always uh, I'm not done processing that but I think weighing things now instead of just looking at them I think I'm seeing them more clearly some of the elements you know like stress and you know ongoing investigations um, family history perhaps uh, levels, uh, you know, I just don't don't have an end product here. So part of your process with this is investigating and rethinking and trying to piece together what led up to the event. Yes. Does that comfort you? Well, I don't know if comfort's the right word, but and talking about it has helped because it it kind of brings it back and brings it into focus and helps resolve it. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think you ever, like you were saying about uh, visualizing uh, or seeing child pornography, there's no unburning your mind when you have it seared in your mind and memory. There's no undoing this for me. It's one of those things that you learn from and move on with your job. Right. Yeah. So is there anything that we didn't touch upon that you want to touch upon the takeaway here is that people involved with children's services are very committed another takeaway is people don't do things like this without some sort of uh, psychiatric condition and also there are degrees of things in life if someone is self-centered it doesn't make them a narcissist and so trying to identify possible child abuse or neglect is important for the public to be aware of. If they see it, report it. The professionals need to take a look at the degree of, of how their clients are, how depressed, how narcissistic, how potential uh, they have for increasing their abuse or mitigating their abuse. Well, Jim, thanks for coming on the podcast and talking about this. I've learned a lot. I hope the the listeners can get your angle and and understand better what happened because I think there are things we can learn from this. I think that we might be able to learn things about human life and the meaning of life, I think, lies in events like this. I think that's why we're attracted to them. We can see the fragility of life and perhaps can appreciate life better, right? Appreciate those around us. Um, if if there's anything we can learn from this, may, maybe th- maybe that's something we can learn from it. Well, it is kind of an interesting thing that uh, when you think about dying, you think about living. Hmm. And so each breath, that it, each day, each breath, each heartbeat is life. It's not next week. It's not after I graduate. It's not after I pay my taxes. It's right now. Hmm. And so I think I agree with you 100% that life is now. Yeah. And we ought to go for it yeah 
Thanks for coming on the show, Jim. Thanks for having me. That does it for another episode of Psychology in Seattle. Please take care of yourself.